everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. We are just past Easter. Summer is close, which obviously means it's been snowing here in Colorado this week, because that's where we live. And I love it. Uh, My name is Jacob, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am happy to invite you into our new series, Acts, A People After Jesus. But before we jump into the book of Acts and see what God has for us today, I want to get something out of the way. And the first part of this sermon may be hard for some of you to hear, so I want to prepare you. Um, I want to start off talking about Taylor Swift concerts, and I know for many of you, that is a heart-wrenching topic. Since you didn't get tickets, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but that's where we're starting today. Taylor Swift is breaking records all over the place with concert attendance, tickets sold, crashing Ticketmaster, and tons more. She's creating this monstrous footprint in the music industry and has been for years. And for me, it begs an important question. What is the value of attending a concert? What is the point of going to a concert instead of just listening on Spotify, YouTube, or the radio? I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, right? I'm pretty sure Taylor plays mostly the same songs, although I hear there are acoustic remixes of songs that she's never done acoustically before and they change concert to concert. Sorry, sorry if I'm digging at the wound for some of you that you're already feeling. See, the thing is, Taylor Swift puts on a good concert, as do dozens of other entertainers. And for those of you who are avid concert goers, I think you'd agree that there's something different about showing up in person with people who are like you uh, and as opposed to just listening on the radio. And it's not just concerts, it's also sporting events, live tapings, and really any type of entertainment. Oftentimes, the experience of showing up in person just feels different. Am I right? Entertainers make you feel something in person you've never felt before. Good entertainers have you singing along and feeling like you're a part of the act, but great entertainers? Great entertainers are something else. A great artist has fans clamoring at the doors to show up. Great entertainers have their fans showing up in different outfits, exchanging gifts, or making a name for their group. Swifties, anyone? Great entertainers build a sense of community that's about more than just the music. It's about being a part of something bigger greater, and knowing that there are others out there that are like you, and for this moment, just this moment, you don't have to worry about judgment. You don't have to worry about fitting in. You don't have to worry about whatever you say or do because you're with your people, because great entertainers build a community. And obviously, it's not just Taylor Swift. Uh, During the 60s and 70s, people would uproot their lives to follow the Grateful Dead, traveling all around all these concerts. And although the shows were probably similar show to show, although there are people who might be incredibly offended, I just said that, the experience was about the community. And that was important enough that people would drop everything to follow them. A good buddy of mine is a WWE fan. And I don't say good buddy to imply that that's me, because it's not, but a good buddy of mine is a WWE fan. He's in his late 30s and has watched the WWE religiously for the last four decades. When he goes to a live show, and he goes to all of them, or when he turns on his television every Monday night, he can already tell you exactly how each match is going to play out. 
He knows who's going to win the title. He knows who's going to win the belt. He knows what the flip-flopping is going to be. He knows who the teams are. He's seen the storylines. He doesn't watch it every week to be surprised. He's not tuning in because he wants to see something new. He's tuning in because he's built a relationship with WWE and with the people who watch it. Uh, my buddy tells me when he goes to live events, he says, I'm with my people. Like, they get it. They get me, Jake, in a way that you never will, and I probably never will, and that's okay. And it's not just in person either. Some of this is beginning to extend into our online spaces as well. Uh, a few months ago, I grabbed lunch with a former student to catch up. This former student has turned TikTok and YouTube into his career. And when I say career, uh, that's where he makes his living completely, and he's killing it. I grabbed lunch with him because I was fascinating. I've, I've seen him popping up everywhere, and I just wanted to ask, how did you do it? Like, what is your secret? What makes you so popular online? I said, do you do things that other people don't do? He said, not really. Because the way the online works is if I come up with something unique, it'll be copied like 40 times by tomorrow. So it's not that I do something others don't do. I go, okay. I said, is your content just really relatable? Is there something about your content that just, just hits people differently? He says, kind of the same answer. Maybe at first, and then it gets copied. I said, is it just because you're likable and charismatic? And he said, no, although he is very likable and charismatic. I said, what makes your platform so big? How have you turned this into a career? He said, oh, it's simple. Some people look for the silver bullet. Some people look for this way to grow these huge videos. For me, I took the slow path. Um, I built an online community. He said, even online, these people have a relationship with me. I go live for a few hours every day to give out my content, and I spend the rest of my time just talking to people, answering questions, relating, sharing life, talking about birthdays. I may never meet these people in person, but these are my people. Some of them have been with me since day one, and we know each other. Building community. That's where we're going today. And there's a lot we can talk about when it comes to building community and what community looks like. Uh, we can talk about studies out there that talk about life expectancy and how life expectancy is higher for people who are surrounded by others as opposed to people who choose a life of complete solitude. We can talk about the health benefits of being around people. Um, but what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at what God has to say about community and really, what did he do with community immediately after his death and resurrection. What happened to his people in the book of Acts? Uh, in the book of Acts, we're going to see God's people building God's church in the days and years after Jesus is resurrected. We're going to see some good. We're going to see some bad. Um, and it's really incredible to watch. Uh, the book of Acts takes place directly after Jesus has died and rose from the dead. It's a direct sequel to the book of Luke. It starts with a final command from Jesus, and then we get to see the acts of his early church. Uh, we're in for a fun ride as we get to decide how much from the book of Acts rings true for us today that we should take to heart um, and how much of it doesn't that was just for a certain people at a certain time. And that's an important distinction we need to be aware of as we walk into this series. This week, a group of us were talking with our former lead pastor, a man named Steve, and he reminded us that comparing our church or comparing any church to the church in Acts is actually pretty dangerous. See, in a lot of ways, that early church had it much harder than we do. They were small, they were persecuted, 
They were an offshoot of this huge religion called Judaism that brought some relatability for some, but also brought a lot of baggage for others. Their core leader had recently died, and they were claiming these miracles and resurrections. It wasn't always an easy sell. However, in a lot of ways, as we go through this series, I want you to know that these people in the book of Acts, um, if you call yourself a Christian today, if you are a person who follows God and does your best to see what God wants for you, the people we're going to talk about today had it a lot easier than you do. All of them met Jesus. And not like met Jesus like I prayed, met Jesus like Jesus shook my hand, Uh, Jesus told me a story. Jesus invited me to a wedding. Uh, They learned from Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They actually heard their Savior do and say things. And in a spiritual sense, that gives them a huge leg up on us. They interacted with the Son Son of God in a way that none of us have. So as we dive into the book of Acts today and we see a people and community, I want to assert a few things we're going to talk about today. First, I believe that we were designed by God for community. I believe we were called to be in community, and I believe that humans in general thrive in community. So the question is, what does that community look like? And how is the church supposed to be different from all those other community groups across the world, and how is it similar? How are we different from entertainers? How are we different from artists? Um, And should we introduce pro wrestling into our church today? Those are the important questions that we need to make sure that we address today. To make sure we have the right context for Acts, I want to start with Jesus from the beginning of his time in ministry and take a look at what Jesus's community looked like. And it's pretty fascinating to look at. Um, First, Jesus had the disciples, 12 men that he called to follow him. And we have stories of Jesus calling some of them, not all of them, uh, but one story looks like this. It's in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, uh, the calling of the first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and their father and followed him. Four blue-collar workers, uh, men who worked with their hands, and Jesus said, hey, come follow me. I'll show you something different. Uh, And then we have other disciples, like like a guy named Matthew. Uh, Matthew is a tax collector, a tax collector for the Romans. He isn't working as much with his hands. He's working more with his, his mind and these skill sets. He's essentially working for the bad guys, Uh, the Romans, the people who are subjugating the Jews, and he's collecting taxes for the Romans. So we have people like Matthew that Jesus calls who immediately comes and follows him. Then we have these four people that Jesus calls these blue-collar workers. Uh, And Jesus, there's a whole list of these disciples. And if you're in church and you've been in church your whole life, you may be able to name every one of these disciples But realistically, I'll bet most of you can't uh, because there are a few that are pretty outspoken and they're in most of the stories. And then there are a few that we never hear talk and we have no idea what they did, like Bartholomew. Did anyone know that there was a disciple named Bartholomew? Some people, 
Some of you nodding your head are probably lying because you're afraid I'd call you out. It's not very common. Here are the names of the disciples. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. Twelve men who followed Jesus. Then, aside from those twelve, Jesus had his three. These are the ones he was closest to. These are the ones that we see Jesus go off with alone often. Um, These are John, Peter, and James. So remember this, 12 and 3. Uh, second, Jesus had a group of people following him that I'll call the faithful. Uh, these, there are more than a dozen of these listed in Scripture, but to make it simple for you, these are the people that Jesus healed. These are people that Jesus taught. These are people that Jesus talked to. These are people that saw a different way of life. And when Jesus was teaching, they would just follow him where he went. Uh, there were Pharisees. There were family members. There were people he had healed. And there were somewhere between like three and ten people all named Mary. Um, If you didn't know, when you read the Bible, if you ever see the name Mary, there's like multiple, multiple, multiple of them. And third, Jesus has this group of 72. We find this in Luke 10, 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Three, 12, the faithful, the 72, and finally the crowds. Everywhere Jesus went, he attracted crowds of people. uh, People who wanted the show. People who wanted to see what he did. Uh, The most popular story of this is a story where it says Jesus fed 5,000. Uh, Jesus is out with his disciples, he's teaching, and this just multitude of people come to watch. And they're excited, and they're listening to what he has to say, and it's around lunchtime, so they decide that they need to feed these people. Uh, But they don't know that they have enough food, so Jesus says, why don't we do it and see what God does? And despite this small amount of food, there was more than enough for everyone with some left over. And we see in Matthew 14, 21, what that number looked like. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus fed 5,000 plus women and children. So that group was somewhere between 5 and 25,000 people. So that's the crowd that's following Jesus. And we see this concept of the crowd like 30 times throughout the Gospels. Mark 5.24 and he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Luke 5.1, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. Mark 9.14, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And this is where we leave off at the end of the Gospels. Jesus has amassed a crazy following. Uh, people close, people crowded around, He started off with a few people close until it grew, until there were dozens, then thousands, then tens of thousands. There were people who followed Jesus' tour bus wherever it went. People were fighting just to touch his robes because Jesus put on a show like no other. And the venues he was speaking at, uh, the numbers they had were unprecedented, especially for a Jewish rabbi. So with that ridiculous following, 
And with that ridiculous community, where did it all end up? And that's where we start in the book of Acts. At the end of the Gospels, Jesus has been crucified. He has risen from the dead, and he is now spending time with his followers. He spends weeks with his disciples and those following him, just talking, just sharing life, just telling stories. And we're going to pick up on that in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. Today we'll be in verse 3 through 9. After his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples not to leave, but to wait for the Holy Spirit. He calls them to stay together in community. Uh, And they weren't there just because it was the right thing to do, uh, just because it gave health benefits, uh, just because it would make them feel better, but because he called them to be together with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight." There's a lot to unpack in just those few verses, which we won't get into much. Uh, But if you want to do some homework and read ahead through the book of Acts, there's a theme through the book of Acts, and in fact, the rest of the New Testament, that's mostly going to center around this verse. And it goes like this. If you're here today, and you would call yourself a follower of Christ, uh, if you are here today and you would call yourself a Christian, if you would say you believe in God, Do you have a faith that is purely intellectual and emotional, that you sit with God, that you talk with God, that you listen with God, or do you have a faith that is active that causes you to do something? Do you have a faith that is purely intellectual and emotional, or do you also have a faith that causes you to do something? Because you're going to see this all throughout the New Testament. God calls his people to be with him and to go. Okay, we've got these huge crowds near the end of the Gospels. Jesus has come in person. Jesus is telling stories. He's raised from the dead. He's talking to his people. He's promised the Holy Spirit. He's built up this huge thing. He's declared that the Holy Spirit will bring power. So where did his community number end up? We find out in Acts 1, 15. In those days... Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Right there. Hard stop. The end result. The rest of this chapter goes on to talk about calling of of new disciples. But the end result is 120 people in this room doing life together. From massive crowds in the tens of thousands to 120 
It's a huge shift. And what caused it? It's the difference between stadiums of people and committed followers. It's the difference between those who show up and listen to your music and those who make it a lifestyle. It's the difference between an emotional and intellectual faith and living in those things as well as having an active faith. Um, And it's the difference between crowd and community. Let's pause here and breathe for a second because I want to make a pretty bold claim that's also an incredibly uncomfortable claim. So I'll just name that to start. If you've only ever been here on a Sunday to Discovery, if you're just checking us out online, if you've only been here for worship and teaching and that's it, if you're still in the crowd, then you really haven't been to church yet. Say that again. If you've only ever been here on a Sunday, if you're just checking us out online, If you're only here for worship and teaching and that's it, and if you're still in the crowd, then you really haven't been to church yet. Those people who followed Jesus, the crowd, uh, their experience of what church was and those 120 people who experienced Jesus, they did not have the same experience. One group got an amazing show um, and the other group experienced true life. I love our church. I love what we do. I've been here for a long time. I love who Discovery is. Um, If you're here for the show, uh, I thought about how to word this, so I think I'll just word it really bluntly. I actually think you can find a better show elsewhere. Uh, I actually think we do a pretty good job. That's not a slam on you, Alex. Great job today. (laughs) But if you're just here for the show, I think you can find a better show elsewhere. So why be here? We're going to teach God's word faithfully. We're going to lead in worship. We're going to engage the community around us thoughtfully and powerfully. But the place that we can nail things and the reason you should be here um, is because we are going to do our best to do community really, really well. So the question is, what does that look like? And are you asking us to sign up for more stuff? Maybe, but not necessarily. This is not a giant sales pitch. I have not been building to a point to make you feel guilty and then just drop where you should be doing. Maybe, but probably not. The first thing, I want to talk about what community looks like here at Discovery. The first thing I know about community is every community has someone or something they rally around. It may be a common person, a common set of likes, dislikes, habits, or hobbies, It may be similar life stages or a common set of goals. So if we're defining what community looks like here at Discovery and what makes it different from other groups, we have to start by setting our focal point, um, which is Jesus, which makes a lot of sense. What's interesting about Jesus as the focal point is it allows for a lot of diversity in how we all approach things. In fact, you'll see that right away when you look at that list of 12 disciples and who was following Jesus. For those of you who are interested in this kind of thing, Discovery was planted uh, as a restoration movement church. Uh, And while that might mean a lot of things to some and nothing to most, uh, there's one line from it that I think is really important when we talk about community at Discovery. And it looks like this. I'll throw a quote up on the screen. I'm going to butcher somebody's name. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty and in all things charity, first stated by a man named Rupertus Mildenius, or close to that. 
Essentially, this means that in areas where the Bible speaks clearly, we'll speak clearly. And if it's essential for faith in Jesus, we'll ask us to come together on it. If the Bible seems vague or if it's non-essential for faith and salvation, then if you and I differ in beliefs, that's okay. Uh, In fact, it's welcome. It's highly desired that we don't all agree on the same thing. And in all things, charity, meaning that we do this all with love. That means that if the person who sits across the aisle from you in church also sits across the aisle from you politically, we can still love them. And if two people differ in an area of belief, then we can discuss, we can engage, we can have discourse without losing the relationship, which is a concept that is pretty foreign in America in 2023. But it's spot on for what Jesus was doing. Uh, Those 12 disciples, I picked three that I think probably would have fought quite a bit. I'll throw them up on the screen. Simon the Zealot, Peter the Fisherman, Matthew the Tax Collector. All right, with Peter the Fisherman, blue-collar worker, works with his hands. Uh, He is doing the family business. When he's fishing, he's feeding his family. He is working day in and day out to keep his family going. And when Jesus called him to follow him, he was asking him to potentially put his family at risk. Matthew, the tax collector. Remember, he works for the bad guys. He's collecting taxes for the Romans. He's taxing his people, the Jews. He's working for the the subjugating group. Uh, And then Simon the Zealot. Um, Simon the Zealot. A man who, by his title, um, would have been looking for the overthrow of Rome. And not just the overthrow of Rome, he probably would have wanted this to happen today, He probably would have wanted it to happen with protests, with violence. He would have wanted to do anything he could to have Rome overthrown. So we have someone who works for Rome, someone who wants to overthrow it, and the person stuck in the middle just trying to work with his hands to get things going. Yet Jesus intentionally called them as three of his 12. And we don't see them fighting throughout the Gospels. I I, I bet they did. If I can add to the Bible, I'm betting there were a lot of debates, but Jesus intentionally called a diverse group together, just like our community should be. If you've only been here on a Sunday, you probably haven't been to church yet. So if you're interested, I want to give some ways that you can start dipping your toes in. Um, The first are, if you want, things you can do, things you can sign up for. Um, That QR code on the chair in front of you has a lot of things, few things. If you've never been here before, Alex talked about it in the announcements, uh, we have starting point. It's really a way to connect with our pastors, ask questions, and find out if we're crazy. It's a really easy, good step. Uh, We have a seeker group. If you're constructing faith, if you're deconstructing faith, if you are just for the first time in your life checking out what Jesus said, or if you've been walking in faith for decades, and all of a sudden the pieces are not fitting together quite right, and you're not sure what to do, Um, groups like that are for you. Uh, We have small groups. We are looking for small groups, small group leaders. We have 50s pluses groups, women's groups, men's groups. There are plenty of things to sign up for, Um, and we're also going into the summer, which is the worst time in the world to ever commit to anything, uh, because schedules get crazy. So toward that end, we have stuff you can just show up for. Throughout the whole summer, we're going to be doing something called patio parties. Uh, we did this a little bit last year, but here's what it looks like. After second service, 
four, six, eight times this summer, you're going to hear us talk about patio parties, and it's a time just to show up, eat some food, uh, talk to some people you don't know, or if that's terrifying, talk to some people you do know, or if you don't know anyone, come talk to me and I'll pretend like I know you. All of those are acceptable. I'd also challenge you, if you are here today and you are struggling to plug in, you're struggling to connect, you don't know what it looks like here, um, spend about 15 minutes after church just hanging out. Um, Don't just run straight to your car. Um, Get to know some people. And if you're feeling crazy, uh, invite someone out for coffee. This summer, we're going to dip our toes into community uh, because in the fall, we're going to ask people to dive into community and make sure that you are doing life together because I think that's what God called us to. Uh, And if you are joining us online, uh, I am so excited you're here. Uh, And my question is, uh, where is your community? Uh, Some who join us online are in this area. Who are you doing life with? And some who join us online are all over the country or the world. Who are you doing life with? Because if you're just showing up for the show, uh, I think you're missing the point. I'm going to invite the band back out. Uh, And as I do, I want to close with this. Uh, There are studies that show that life expectancy is higher among those who live in community versus isolation. There are studies that show the benefits of health and wellness from being surrounded by people. There are studies showing the value of community because you and I were made for community and we thrive in community but one thing that makes discovery different and church different is I believe that being in community is an act of worship. I think being in community with people here is very similar to what we're about to do right here. Just doing life with people. And for some of you, that community looks like being so excited right now. And you just want to talk to every single person on your way out and you want to make sure you shake hands with every person. And if that's you, that is so awesome. And there are some of you who are like, that sounds terrible. And I don't intend to do that at all. And I intend to connect with a few close people. That's awesome too. Uh, And for some of you, that community looks like barely dipping your toes in. uh, Because you've tried it before, it hasn't worked, you're not sure. Uh, And that's great too, because there's room for all of us. As we continue into our series of acts, you are going to hear this pop up all over, over, over the early church was all about community. And the early church was all about an active faith. And though I don't think we can take everything away from them as prescriptive for us, I do think that that's something that we can learn from them. Uh, Because I believe God always intended us to do this together. Um, I'd love to pray for us. And then we'll jump into worship. Uh, Hey God, it's Jake. I love the community I've built here. I love the community my family has. I love the community my kids have. Uh, I love the people here. Um, I love the people I do life with every single week, and I love the people I see occasionally, but I just light up when I see them. God, thank you for community. And I want that for everyone here. God, I just pray that we would be a church that uh, puts on a good show. but really is here to do life together. Whether that's inside our walls, outside our walls, out in the community, um, I pray that we'd be a life-giving community. God, thank you. Amen.